0: To The Flying Solo Podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. If you're working solo or have dreams of starting up, you'll find support, inspiration and advice at Australia's largest and liveliest small business community. Find us
1: at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Here's your host, Robert Gerrish. Yes, Robert Gerrish here, founder of Flying Solo, co-author of the bestseller of the same name and author of The One Minute Commute, My latest book, published by Pan Macmillan and available in all good bookshops, online and as an audiobook, courtesy of Audible.com. Yikes, six hours of me droning on. Anyway, that's enough about the one-minute commute. Now, before I introduce our guest, let me tell you about Flying Solo's premium membership. There's a mass of tools and benefits to help your business stand out and to ensure you stay at the top of your game. As part of membership, you get a full page listing in the directory, entry to a private discussion group, access to a library of over 80 how-to videos, a copy of the Flying Solo book and much, much more, all for just $99. Head to the join page to find out more. Now my guest today is Jemima Ashley who joins me from Canberra. Hello Jemima, thanks for joining us.
0: Hi! Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited oh. to be here.
1: Well, that's great. Now, look, I must let people know that you, after starting out as a profiler for the Australian Police, you moved into your own jewellery business, and today you support this with your work as a comedian and improv actor, a social media teacher, and a marketing and positioning coach. Gosh, you're a busy woman.
0: <laughs> yes, I am. That's me.
1: <laughs> okay. You also you were named uh, one of Australia's top female entrepreneurs and a woman to watch uh, by Entrepreneur Magazine. So yeah, you're certainly a busy woman. And look, it's um, it's probably no coincidence then that we're going to be talking about self care, which I think is a uh, very important subject for any of us working in our own businesses particularly someone like yourself who has got your finger in a number of pies. So Mm. where should we start on this whole topic of self-care, do you think?
0: Well, I will tell you about why I'm so passionate about it. So, um, okay. this, so, yeah, it's a bit of a story as most people who will be advocates for mental health and taking care of yourself generally have a decent one behind them. Right. So um, I worked in law enforcement for 10 years. I got to the age of 30 and I was what I would just describe as exhausted. Mm-hmm. I was just so exhausted and, you know, I bought into what everyone thought, this is what you had to do. You you know, I did everything that I was to do i was i'm clearly an overachiever i think you've just read my resume and most people would read that out pretty quickly um but you know i was at school and i spoke three languages and i learned you know finished graduated at 18 i moved to melbourne i started doing a lot of study i graduated university i got my dream job and then i did three university degrees back to back while i was working full-time including a master's and i was like i've got this this is great and i'd always heard of this self-care thing um, that you were supposed to do. And I just thought it was like eat a salad and uh, mm-hmm. perhaps sleep. Right. Um, and then in t- 2015, my world literally came crashing down and I had my first panic attack. Oh, yeah. Um, if anyone's had one of those, don't recommend it. Um, Mm. If you haven't, certainly try to steer clear of those. Um, Pretty awful. And within, you know, I went from a fully functioning human adult who was had a very high-pressure career. I was a world traveller. I um, worked abroad. I was a translator. I worked in criminal intelligence profiling. And I went to not being able to get into my car overnight.
1: Gosh, Gosh. Mm, So this happened whilst you were in that profiling job. Yeah. What I mean, without going necessarily and clearly, you're on the other side of that. But Mm. what was what was the process? I mean, how 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 did you get get through that?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a long story. Like, it's complicated, and and recovery for this sort of thing is um, is complex, and there's a lot of different elements that go into it, and. You know, one of the reasons that I speak about this is because I couldn't find anyone talking about it when I was going through it. And this I felt really frustrated with Mm. because it was like, you know, when I started reading the statistics, one in three people are going to go through something like this in their Mm. lifetime. I couldn't find anyone talking about it actively. right. So, I was like, I got to start talking about this process when I got a little bit further out of it. Yeah. So, um, the first thing I did was got medical intervention, which was phenomenal. I was very lucky that I walked into my, um, my GP's office and went, this is what's occurred. I right. don't know what's going on. And immediately, I was like, right, this is what's happened. This is what we're going to do. Got in to see a psychologist and um, you know, then was like, now I'm going to learn all these things about self-care. <laughs> so, right. this is where I started to actually look at things like because, you know, I'll be honest, it felt like an absolute failure on my behalf. Mm. I worked in a high-pressure career. I had a lot of expectations on myself. I was fully, you know, I was I was doing improv. I was, you know, standing on stage every other night and then going to work for, you know, 9, 10, 12-hour days and had a successful relationship and great friends. So... This now felt like an absolute failure on my behalf and then I went and learned about the psychology of what had actually happened and learned that there was a chemistry element, learned that this was a physiological response to stress being built up over a number of years. So, um, you know, the first thing I did was got medical intervention and actually researched what had happened. It was kind of the first start and then... It was throwing myself into learning about meditation and yoga and turning your brain off Mm. and why having devices around us all the time is actually bad
1: for us. Mm. So bad. But so, uh, you know, we're going to, I know we're going, you know, I'm so sorry that you went through that. Mm. Uh, It must have been uh, an absolutely ghastly period for you. But somewhere in the midst of all that, uh, you decided okay, I'm going to start my own business now.
0: Yeah, uh, which is the logical process. I
1: think, yeah, not for really. Nobody. So, for nobody. No. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I know we're going to come on to, to some, mm. t- some tips now for, for people in self-care, but at what point did you decide, okay, I'm quitting my job, I'm starting a business? And what precipitated that choice?
0: Yeah, it felt like a big, everyone sort of was like, what are you doing? Because I went home. And I got really in touch with what I wanted for the first time in my entire life. And what I had realized very early on is that I was living up to everyone else's expectations and not my own. So, and admitting that, oh, that was rough. Like actually making mm-hmm. that decision of like, oh, I did this because I thought I had to rather than this is what I wanted. So I sat back. And um, one of the things that had happened earlier was I had started doing improv and comedy and I had learned and met people who were you know actually interesting and were making money doing creative work Yeah. and I had grown up in a family where like we had a farm and we let my parents rest in government so I realized really quickly that people could make a career out of being creative and um I was working in Manhattan, of all places, and I had a chance encounter with a jewelry designer in Silversmith. My apartment happened to be above this guy's studio <laughs> and walked past his studio a couple of times. And I didn't know what this man was doing, but I walked in there. He eventually would become my, my first mentor. In business, and I sat down with him and made a ring on the first day. I was like, I stalked this guy for a week <laughs> just watching what he was doing, and I swear it's the only time stalking has paid off. But um, he was fantastic, and he showed me how to make work with metal. And it was um, that a was kind of the moment thing. where I was like, you know, I can do something other than be at a job that I don't like, and admitting that is hard. Like when you're ingrained in that lifestyle, and I would 10 years I'd done this career for, and every mm. degree was around this, and everything I had done for the 10 years before that. Was about getting this job that I wanted, and I got there, and it wasn't all that. So mm-hmm. you know, I took a bit of a leap of faith, um, and jumped really hard. Um, and of course, everyone was very worried about me because all this other stuff was going on. And it was the best thing I've ever done.
1: How so? Yeah, I mean, I mean that that is a wonderful outcome from a horrible period. Is that mm. as you say, what what uh, it sounds like? What transpired is you had this realization. Actually, you know what? There are people out there. That are doing things they really enjoy. Um, yeah. They're finding work that they love and they're following their creative path. And it's just so sad that it took that for that, that light yeah. bulb to go off, I guess.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a lot of things here. I was 30, I was pretty young still. And I had just bought into what everyone has been told our entire lives. And this is what the education system teaches that, you know, you, you, go to high school, you finish high school, you go to university and then you get a job. There is, you know, I have been an entrepreneurial, I was an entrepreneurial kid. I couldn't have named what it was at that age and no one probably could have named it. But I certainly had, you know, creative ideas and, you know, um, this work ethic that every entrepreneur has. So, um, yeah, look, I started a jewellery business and then in my full creative style, I threw myself into learning everything that I could about business and I started a podcast, which was called The Business Experiment, with a girlfriend of mine, Siobhan Joyce. And we did this podcast for 18 months, and you know, we grew a really massive profile, and that's where right. I started to kind of build this profile. So I'd spent a lot of time trying to stay away from the camera, especially while working in law enforcement. And, uh, and then suddenly, I was kind of thrust into the spotlight a little bit. Um, but I'd been doing creative stuff already. So it was like, this is, I found the perfect alignment.
1: Fantastic. So interesting that, um, you know, here you were working as a profiler and then you actually, well, it's probably a bit of a pun that doesn't quite work, but then you ended up, <laughs> you know, building quite a profile for yourself. So let's, let's come back to today then. So now, uh, as, as I mentioned in the intro, you know, you, you have a number of kind of strings to your bow, you work in a variety of areas, but clearly um, this area of self-care continues to be uh, obviously very important to you having been where you've been, but is also something that you talk about, you know, whenever you can. So why don't we, you know, we obviously we have an audience listening that um, the majority have already made that choice to work in the business doing the work they enjoy. Mm. So yee you know, we've got that bit right. But how do we ensure, because in small business it's not all, um, you know, kind of roses and smiles. There are pressures, of course, and we know, we both know, we all know that there's um, that mental health uh, is an issue within small business. So, what is what are some? I think you've got three sort of clear tips for us to have a look at. Why don't we dive into those as to how can we make sure we look after ourselves in our businesses and our lives.
0: Yeah, so the first, the first thing I kind of want to put around this is I just want to be really clear here. Running a small business is stressful. We don't have a lot of firm statistics on the, the kind of anxiety and depression rates, but what I can tell you straight out of the bat is that anxiety is now overtaken depression as the most diagnosed mental health disorder specifically yeah. in Australia. And I think we're going to see this worldwide. Mm. So and we're not we're not talking like a small amount of the population. We're talking about fifteen percent at the moment, which was yep. last year's statistics. So um it you know it's a, it's a stressful job. We work long hours. We have, you know, cash flow issues. We have, you know, the blurred lines of where is business and where is work. So, um, yeah, there's a lot going on. So, there is a reason that you're feeling overwhelmed and feeling stressed and I just want to let everyone know that if this is you, you are not alone. Sure. There are a lot of people going through this. Okay. So, um, the first thing I would definitely say is to prioritize what you are doing because this list and this kind of list enables you to really identify what needs to be done and what doesn't need to be done. We put a lot of stress on ourselves as business owners and we give Mm -hmm. ourselves what I like to refer to as imaginary deadlines. Yep, And um, we then, in turn, make it harder and harder on ourselves to go and get these things done.
1: Mm, Okay. Good point. All right. So, prioritising, are you saying there that obviously part one of our priorities needs to be ourselves, our own self-care? Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um, So, for example... We need to carve time where we can. Obviously, we have a lot of business stress and, you know, demanding deadlines. The good thing is in the entrepreneurial world, it's pretty, um, unless you've really got a global audience of over a couple of million, most of those people will roughly be in a very similar time zone. So yep. the good thing is here is that we know from about 8 till 5, 8 till 6, this is when your emails and stuff are going to kick up. The good thing is, is that the time before and after that, your phone and stuff like that will actually kind of not become relevant anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you can actually do a lot of work in the hours of 5 and five and 8. I get up at 5.30. Don't recommend everyone gives that a go, but it is a lot of fun to do it yep. um, because you get to actually, you know, put yourself first. Um, exercise, yoga, meditation. Don't see these as optionals. These are actually just part of running your business.
1: Hmm. Yep. Okay. I think that's a great point too. <clears throat> and yeah, to start your day um, with yourself as your, you know, almost like yourself as your most important uh, kind of business action is looking after yourself before you get into the day. I mean, that does obviously doesn't necessarily suit everyone. Not everyone wants to do an early morning sort of exercise or meditation. But I think, you know, the notion as as you said there, of just carving out that time, making sure that in each and every day, you've got some time for yourself. So that's a great point. Where, what else? What other sort of things do we need to be thinking about?
0: Um, the other thing is something that I sort of talk about being like an attention economy. So. Um Where we are putting our own attention is kind of the most important part of it. But the one thing that's happened with now, you know, our mobile devices being this ever-present thing in our life, I have um, a bit of a no phone zone policy and turning my phone off because this is now, honestly, we don't ever get bored anymore. Mm. If you look around in cars, you look around at the supermarket, people open their phone and stuff looking through that. We are actually just flooding our brain with information it doesn't need. You don't need to look at 4,000 Instagram posts a day. Mm. You just don't need to do that. So I... um. I would I would strongly urge people to restricting calls and restricting time that you spend on your mobile phone, Um, and also making sure that you know yes you're going to have to be available for some big ticket items but you know you don't need to be online all the time. We need to be able to switch off. The other thing is don't. The other thing we're we're doing a lot of is laying in bed and playing on our phones. The problem Mm. is with that we're resetting our brains on a biology level, and we're actually making ourselves thinking it's daylight and then we try to go to sleep we get poor sleep our brains don't clean themselves on a very low level of explanation of that. Yep. And, um, yeah, we're, flat, we're flooding our body with um, cortisol levels, which means we're getting more stressed and uh, coping less well.
1: Yeah, look, I think they're very, very clear points. And uh, I know also, though, that whilst we whilst you're, you're advocating there, clearly that we have long periods where we kind of turn off our devices, we perhaps allow ourselves a bit of time Uh, just to think, to ponder, to not fill it with stuff. Uh, Clearly very important. But at the same time, I know that you talk about um, using social media actually as a support to our self-care for connection. So tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so it's a bit of a um, – it's a really great tool, for connecting with people because here's the thing and it's the true fact of being an entrepreneur a lot of it's done in our own homes or in our own office away from everybody else so the great thing is with social media is that you can actually go out to other people who are going through the same stuff you can share your story like I do and explain and actually get information that you probably weren't aware of um because you know, we are seeing a shift, particularly in 2018, to be a successful business owner, you actually need to be a human. We are moving away from, you know, the the bulk emails and we're moving away from this kind of thing. So, you know, we can use this to one, not only share our story, but two, listen to other people's stories and see the similarities. What were the red flags? There were a thousand red flags for me that I just ignored. Mm-hmm. I now get to actually say something about that and go, look, this is the warning signs. Be very careful when you start to head in this territory because this is a real problem that we need to address.
1: Sure. So to, to what extent with your own situation, how important was speaking up and speaking out to your own kind of recovery?
0: It, it really was a helpful, it was it was intimidating the first time that I did it, um, but it really came to a head for me one week. My, um, my husband, uh, is part of our defense force, um, and had been traveling around the time that this was all going on. So he was here when it all went down, but then he left ref- for nine months. So I was mostly alone again, and I'm, I'm grateful I kind of had that time to kind of deal with it, but I caught up with a friend of mine and this person was a close friend. This wasn't an acquaintance. This was someone that I spoke to almost daily. And I said to him, look, this is all going on in my life right now and it's really horrible and I'm very scared of it. I don't know what's going on. And he said, he looked me dead in the face. He's like, I've had this for five years. This was someone I knew really well. And I was like, why didn't you tell me? And he said, well, no one talks about this stuff because it's embarrassing and this is the problem. And the thing that I I really took a step back from that moment and then I realized, you know, I told somebody else, and they're like, "Oh, this has happened to me. It's fine. You'll get through it." And I realized that people around me that I cared and that I loved, and that you know, were legitimately people close to me. If I had a problem, I would. These are the people I would call. No one was talking about it. No one was breaking the silence of this, and it was making the stigma worse. So when I was, you know, when we were saying things like, I was saying things like, "I'm not doing well today. I can't leave the house." It was being seen as a weakness, but if I had a broken leg, it would have been a totally different story. I'm like, mm. I'm fighting my brain, guys. Like, I'm actually fighting the, the chemistry of my body. And what I really felt so strongly about was understanding that this wasn't a weakness on my behalf because I had gone from an alpha female who was working in an alpha-dominated career. I was surrounded by alpha males. I was one of 17% um, workforce women and only 8% went in operations. So we're talking very male dominated. And suddenly I'm saying, I can't do this because my body won't allow me. This for me was so important. And as soon as I felt like I had some sort of control and I'm not, this was not a quick process. This took about 12 months of medication. I am um, therapy, self-care daily. Um and I'm talking like aggressive self-care, like, okay, I need to have a nap now. This sort of very high level of what felt extremely selfish and kind of breaking that stigma for myself. Um I was like, yeah, okay, we need to let other people know that this is a fact mm-hmm. of life and that one in three people are going to be in this situation. And this is not fair that I've had to go this alone because other people weren't willing to tell their story. I was brave enough to do it. I'm grateful that I've got the chance to do that, but it is slightly terrifying at the same time because it's an extreme vulnerability even now for me doing so well. You know, it, it is hard to do keynote speeches being an international speaker. It is hard to come onto podcasts and talk about these things. It is difficult when you're having a bad mental health day to then go and do a coaching session with somebody.
1: Of course. This is the
0: reality of it, though. This <clears throat> is, and this is why I want to talk about it because we have to let people know that they're not alone in this process.
1: Yeah. Okay. Good. Good point. Now, you also, I know that um, in your own sort of day, you have uh, you have a, a kind of a, a practice of mini breaks. You have a, a kind of sleep routine that really supports you. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do in those areas?
0: Yeah. So my um, my day. It starts at 5.30 a.m., between 5 and 5.30, and um, I finish my day at 8.30 p.m., So that's not to say that sometimes there might be a few things that sneak past. Uh, I went out for dinner last night, got a bit stuck out, but that's okay. Like that was a fun experience for me. So um, a big thing for me is that I set my day up correctly by doing a lot of exercise in the morning, followed by stretching, yoga, and then a meditation. And that, you know, and knock that out of the ballpark before 6.30. I've had a healthy, nutritious breakfast, showered, ready to start work by seven. This day for me is this start of the day sets up the rest of it. Because I cannot, at this point, I'm not going to go and eat a burger. I'm not going to go and do these things once I've already done this other stuff. Right. Um, because nutrition is a huge thing for mental health. We've got to make sure we're feeding our bodies the right things. Um, the next thing is I have an alarm on my phone that goes off every 45 minutes. that so reminds me to stand up and get away from the computer. Again, just taking away, just giving my brain a couple of minutes to recover from the amount of light, the amount of information it's had to take in. Um, The other thing is I ensure that all my devices and everything is always set to silent. I'm controlling when I'm giving my attention to these things versus otherwise. Um, And I also, I know my working hours. And so the average person, when we go to work for eight hours a day, we actually only do about five hours of work. This is because we get interrupted. Things happen. I actually take out the middle of the day. I will not work between about probably about noon till about two o'clock. I will not even try to do work. My brain just will not allow me to give the best results. So that's the time that I get to go and do things I need to do around the house.
1: Perfect. And so how do you, um, what's your sort of pattern of sleep? I mean, uh, just to to kind of wrap that area up.
0: Yeah, so... um, my no phone zone, as we refer to it in our house. So if you come to dinner at my place, your phone is put in a, um, it's a, in a little, like a little it's like a wicker basket by the door. You have to leave it there. <laughs> um, and when we go out for dinner, everyone stacks their phone in the middle of the table. You are then fully present. If you pick your phone up, you're paying for everyone's dinner. Not one time has anyone picked, any, picked their son. phone up during that. <laughs> um, so yeah, my phone, no phone zone kicks in at 8.30. And then um, I am mandatory in bed by 9.30, 10 o'clock.
1: Mm, so I Might have
0: a bit of downtime, do whatever I want to do. But yeah, look, eight hours sleep. And if I'm not meaning that, and I know, you know, and there are times I'm not, let's not pretend we don't have perfect lives and that I live by a clock. There are times that I'm gonna make a mistake on this. Sure. That's what naps are for, and they're amazing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so when you you know, you're you're still you're still young, you you've got a, you know, a long life ahead of you. Do you do you feel that uh, this whole area of self care—is it now—is is it now part of your makeup, or do you feel that—is it—is it something that um, kind of sits with you as a concern, or is it—is it shifted now to being something that you feel I've got this? You know, I'm in control of this.
0: I would say it swings rapidly between the three, <laughs> depending okay. on the day. But it's you know I, I'm going to live with this. What really was so frustrating to start with. because I felt like I lost uh, the old version of myself who was fearless and, you know, threw herself at anything. So I kind of lost that when I was diagnosed and had my first panic attack. So, um, that was really hard for me and that there is a grieving process that goes into that. Um, and what, what I really struggled with is knowing that probably my life was never going to go back to being that, but, the benefit of that was that 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 lifestyle I would be dead by 40 probably mm. like you can't have that level of stress and you, on your body and everything for that level of time this this was my body telling me enough this was not a failure this was actually a physiological response to everything that had been going on for the last 10 years and because I you know here's the thing with law enforcement no one's ever having a great day you've mm. either got a victim an offender mm-hmm. you've got you know you know, hor- horrible stuff is happening yeah. all every day. It's never a fun day at work, right? Mm-hmm. And I worked in, you know, Federal Bureau. I traveled a lot. It was great. Loved it. Glad that I left it though. And so there are days where self-care seems hard. And it does feel like a chore to have to go like, if, look, don't get me wrong. I don't wake up every morning and be like, I can't wait to go for a run. Oh my God. Some <laughs> days it's terrible. Yeah. Like, like meditation. Some days I can't meditate. I will effectively, I'll go through the processes, but for 20, like, I fight it every step of the way. Mm-hmm. I'm a human. I'm flawed. And, you know, our bodies do whatever the hell they want. We don't get to control everything. No, that's,
1: um, that's a good, look, that's a good response. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important for all of us to recognise, you know, what we don't want is we don't want our listeners to have to go through the really unfortunate situation that you went through. But so, the important thing is that we get to things early, you know. And I think you've shared with us some some very useful tips there, some things that that we can do. One 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 other, I'm I'm kind of going to move us towards the close. I've got I'm just itching to ask you though, what possessed you? to go into stand-up comedy. That just, it seems such an odd sort of shift. And where does that live in your life today?
0: Um, yeah, sorry, it is an odd shift. I'll agree to that. Um, I had, it was a bit of a chance kind of just watching the signs that were just put in front of me, not to get too woo to your listeners, but I um, i had been living in, um, working predominantly in Indonesia and I had been based in Perth office. So I was actually travelling Again, this is the life I led before, right? Mm-hmm. I was driving the Nullarbor, um, so the guts of Australia, by myself in my car, um, to relocate to another city I'd never actually been to before in Canberra. So I'm in the car, and I was listening to the to the book Tina Fey's Bossy Pants. And if you've you know, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, it's a great book and it's a mm-hmm. great read. But she was talking about um, comedy, just talking about teaching improv. And I had grown up watching shows like Whose Line Is It Anyway or Thank God You're Here yep. and loved it, like right. loved these shows. I didn't know you could do classes in this. So, you know, I'm, I'm moving to a new city. I don't know anyone here either. So, I sort of had a look at, you know, can you do improv classes in Canberra? Turns out you could, met a whole bunch of people, you know, and really had a lot of fun just trying something new and followed what felt very natural to me. This was I was being drawn to this thing. And that took, that took a little while to kind of get used to. Um, and then I realized I was pretty funny. So, and started writing jokes and getting out on stage and, and saying them sort of out loud. So, um, and then waiting for laughs. So, again, another male dominated area that I was like, yeah, I reckon I could have a go at that.
1: <laughs> How brilliant. And so, you're still practicing performing that?
0: Yeah, I'm teaching now. So I okay. teach people how to do improv. I've had a couple of shows on in Canberra. If you're, a, if you're a Canberra local or in the area, we've always got kind of shows happening. So um, love it. Met my husband there. Improv's a cult. So if you are thinking about joining, know that now. Yeah. You, will, you will go in and you'll never come out again. You'll love it. Um, and I think <laughs> improv is a really, um, the first rule of improv is say yes. So I think it's a nice way to live your life as well. I, think, um, yeah. I find it jarring when people start from a place of no.
1: That's so brilliant. Well, look, Jemima, that's a that's a lovely place to um, to draw our, our conversation to a close, I think. So thank you very much for finding time to in your day to speak with the flying Solo community. If we oh, want to thank find, you so much for having me. If we want to find out more, I know we should head along to Jemimaashley.com. That's Jemima J-E-M-I-M-A-H. Ashley A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H dot com. And we can find out all of the uh, very exciting and very varied things that you do in your life. So, again, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: And before I go, don't forget that when it comes to creating a truly enjoyable and prosperous business, Flying Solo gets you. Premium Membership has all the tips and tools you'll need for just $99. Head to the Join page to learn more. And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo and your host, Robert Gerrish. We'd love to receive feedback, even a brief review for those listening via iTunes. If you're planning to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, check out our bestseller, Flying Solo,
0: How to Go It Alone in Business. It includes everything we know about working on your own. And of course, we invite you to dive into the resources and supportive community at flyingsolo.com.au.